right, good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know, my name is Jason Lalone. I get to serve one of the pastors at Park, and it's just a joy to be with you this morning. Way to brave the rain, the weather, all that stuff, and come out to do what we were created to do. We were created to worship and make much of our great God. Well, we're in our second week of our preaching series, which we titled The Pursuit, as we study through the book of Jonah. And last week, Kenny kicked us off in chapter 1 through verse 6, and we found out that we got a prophet on the run. The word of the Lord came to Jonah in verse 1 and said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah said, Nope, I'm going to take a cruise to Tarshish, about 3,000 miles in the opposite direction of where he was supposed to go. And as we learned from last week, as Kenny broke it down for us, you kind of understand why. It was a very difficult mission. I mean, some of us get freaked out when we have to maybe drive through the hood. But the hood didn't have anything on Nineveh. Nineveh being the capital city of the Syrian Empire was an extremely wicked city. And Kenny really shared a lot of this last week. But we got to really double down here because why Jonah doesn't want to go here. Not only were they prideful and known as being immoral and idolatrous, but they were ruthless savages in their pursuit of world conquest. Kenny mentioned last week that they would gouge out people's eyes, that they would cut off their hands, cut off their feet. They would skin their victims alive. And after pummeling a village, they'd cut off their heads and place them on top of poles. Very difficult people to maybe reach with the gospel. And that was feared that these crazy people who had already given Israel trouble were coming after them. Jonah didn't want them spared through repentance. Are you kidding me? He wanted them destroyed in judgment. I mean, after all, would God really want to have compassion for those people? But if you're asking yourself that question, it's at this point that I have to remind ourselves of the character of God and that the Lord is good to all some 145 And that he has compassion on all that he has made. We also have to remember the big picture plan of God and the living storyline of the Bible and how the book of Jonah fits in. And that God is after this omni-ethnic congregation from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Every color, every culture, every class. So that they would be brought into a saving relationship with him, would be unified and thus displaying his redemptive glory for all of the angels and all of the heavenlies to witness and to see we're a part of something really grand happening in the world today. And just like Abraham and just like the Old Testament people of God and just like Park Community Church, Jonah was blessed to be a blessing by no merit of his own. So the Ninevites, so they by no merit of their own could be glad and sing for joy too. Because God has compassion on all that he has made. But Jonah ain't feeling that. He's got the missional blues because he's really set in his ethnocentrism. His his sense of feeling superior to others because of his people's relationship with God has brought him to the place of playing God himself and judging who's deemed worthy of God's compassion and grace. But God sees people through a different lens. 
And just as he was on mission to show compassion to Nineveh, God is on mission to help Jonah understand that he too has been the recipient of that same compassion he's supposed to offer. Jonah has to feel this. And so do we. Or else we're going to be reluctant to share the good news with those other people in our great city. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses, through, verses 7 through 17. And my job this morning is to continue to move us along in the story. If you're using one of the house Bibles that you got on the way in, it's going to be on page 774. And as always here at Park, if you're a guest here with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, make sure to take one home with you as a small gift from us. We're so glad that you're here this morning with us. Now to pick up from last week as Jonah's ship is headed west to Tarshish on the Mediterranean Sea, a violent wind has been sent by God to stir up a storm, causing the sailors to be terrified for their lives. And they begin throwing cargo over the ship and doing whatever they can to hold the ship together. Yet interestingly enough, our guy Jonah has fallen into a deep sleep below deck. How is that, might you ask? How in the world? They're caught in the vortex of this giant storm and there is Jonah Below deck sleeping. Well, frankly, disobedience is draining. After a little while when you're running from God, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I hope actually you never have experienced this or never will. It just becomes wearisome. You start to get tired after a little while. But he's about to get woke up as this spiritual free-for-all begins to take place. Come on, Jonah, get up and call upon your God. Our gods aren't answering. Maybe your God will take notice of us. And so let's pick up the narrative in verse 7. At this point, will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Beginning at verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us, on whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon us. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us his innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And 
or but, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Last week's big idea was God pursues his people, and this week's is simply, you can't shake him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word to us this morning. A familiar story to many of us as we get going into this incredible work in history, which you accomplished, where we see your fingerprints all over the place. And Father, we're reminded that you are sovereign and you're high and lifted up this morning. That the reason we come to gather together for worship is we recognize that you're on the throne. And that any little thrones that we have been on are nothing in comparison to you. And so, Father, you rule your throne by the word of truth. And so I pray that you'd help us to surrender to your word this morning. That we'd get out of all of it what we can. And that you do your work in us. That you seek to make us more compassionate for the sake of those around us, and exalt again in our own redemption. We pray that you simply have your way. Your word is living and active, and that's what I'm going to trust in this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let's get involved with one another here a little bit, a little bit in the congregation and look to your neighbor and say, no matter what you do, you can't shake him. Seriously, look at your neighbor now and say it. No matter what you do, you can't shake him. Say it again. Now say it to the other person, not the other side of you. Say it again. You can't. This is what we're taking home with this morning. All right, all right. Enough of the. All right, it's a little silly, but we can. But we can't shake him. Let's begin in verses 7 through 10 and see how Jonah got found out. Now what's key to remember here in this back and forth with Jonah and the sailors is that there's, is that there's some serious polytheism taking place. Some of you may already know this, but in the ancient world there was a belief in thousands of gods. I mean there is today as well and to some degree and in some parts of the world. But in, in this pluralism and this polytheism atmosphere of where Jonah is at at the time, they believed that the gods were related to not only one personally, not, over, not only over one's family, but also nationally and over lands and circumstances and their jobs and whatever it was they did. And so they were all to be respected and appeased. Just like today, there was a sense that Eternity was in the heart of man and that there was a God out there and they were just trying to figure out who this God was. Everybody has that sense. And that they were all to be respected and appeased. Get that. So when Jonah drew the shortest straw, that's when the questions started coming to find out whose God they should start calling out to because their so-called gods had what my mama used to say to me when I wasn't listening is that they had wax in their ears. Did your mom have any of them sayings? Boy, you got wax in your ears. It's like, gross. Okay, well, I don't know. I, I still can hear. Like, that was, as a seven-year-old, that's my comeback, you know. Like, yeah, I got, you know, this stupid stuff that I'd say to my mom. But they just begin firing questions to, the, to him and, and panic. 
they got to figure out who this Jonah is. And so they interrogate him. Tell us, in whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? In other words, what is your mission? Why are you really on this ship? What country are you from? And what people are you? We need to know what God we are dealing with here. And so Jonah responds, I am a Hebrew. This was a term that the Israelites used to identify themselves to foreigners. Maybe it would strike up in a foreigner's mind that they were the people of God who God had delivered by a mighty and outstretched arm out of Egypt. And get this, he said, and I fear the Lord. That's interesting. Now, there may be some confusion of what it means to fear the Lord. And so I just want to pull off to the side just for a second because it took me a while to understand this. And Proverbs has a lot of good wisdom about it and what it means to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One leads to understanding. Proverbs 1 verse 7. But to fear the Lord is not to walk around kind of hunched over looking over your shoulder, freaked out that God is going to whack you every time that you mess up. That the lightning bolt is just coming and that he's just going to fly off the handle on you. So that you always are living life kind of in this constant fear. No, biblically speaking, to fear the Lord is to know his character. It's to know God's character. It's to trust his promises. It's to believe his warnings. And in light of that, then you obey his word. That's what it means to fear the Lord. This is what we pray for our kids constantly. God, we, I ask that Lincoln and Dylan and Logan would grow up in the fear of the Lord. That they would trust you. That they would believe your warnings. But, they, 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 but that they would know that you're a good God. And so they would delight in obeying you. Because that's what it means to fear the Lord here. It's not wanting to disappoint such a loving, such a just and righteous father. You don't want to disappoint someone who's been so good to you. That's what it means to fear the Lord. So Jonah begins. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. And we're going to come back to that here in a second. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. In other words, Jonah's God wasn't just the God who could provide safe passage to Tarshish. But he was the God who was the creator and ruler over everything. The sailors had brought their little gods and Jonah's God was the God who was over it all. Which caused the men to be really freaked out. What is this you have done? You've fallen out of favor with your God and now you've brought us into it. And these pagan sailors rebuked him for his hypocritical confession. How can you say that you fear the Lord when you're not obeying his word? The word of the Lord had clearly come to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. It was a clear calling. We have a clear calling too. Go and make disciples of all nations. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. Let there not be a hint of sexual immorality among you. Pick up your cross and follow me. You know, one person has said, it's not so much the hard-to-understand passages of the Bible that I have a problem with, but it's the clear ones. And we see in verse 11 that to not obey the word of God is to be fleeing the presence of God. That's what happens in disobedience, you know. When you start disregarding his word, the next thing you do is you start fleeing God's people. This weird thing starts to happen, and I've walked with the master long enough to know what goes on in me. You start to pull back and you start to withdraw. You start to get flaky in your small group attendance. And then you start to get inconsistent in your church attendance. Or, usually what happens when you're in this place, and this is the, one of the unfortunate things that I come across a lot, being a pastor, is that or you do this. You start going around church hopping or church shopping to try to go to a place that someone doesn't know your story. Or you go to a church that will accept you for what you're doing. It's okay. Because it's, you know, it's all about the numbers, you know. But we get this, and I could tell you all sorts of stories. But if you're a child of God this morning, you can't shake him. You can't shake him. He's going to send a storm in your life and or maybe the most unlikely of people to call you out. Now, at this point, I'm gonna, I've got it kind of written down here, but I'm going to probably go off script quite a bit here a, a little bit. So you can just kind of capture this and so I can just be really real and authentic with you. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you right now. And the rule of thumb is for pastors is when you're ever up front on the stage, I've heard this for so many years, don't ever make yourself the hero in the story. This will be a prime example of not making myself the hero. And I also recognize that going into this, and I was kind of going back and forth whether to share this or not, that some of you may not have a category for what I'm about to say and how God deals with us as his people. But here it goes. Back in 97 and into 98, 1997, 1998, some of you were not even born then. Wow, wow. Back in the day, back when I was in my prime, man, man. Man, 98, man. Oh, man. Oh. Still struggling with that. But back in the day, you know, I'd been following Christ for a few years, and I began to do a lot in the church. And I was leading a small group. I was leading a Sunday school class. I was leading a prison ministry. I was speaking at other churches, sharing my testimony. And my pastor even gave me the opportunities to preach, which is a really bad idea. Because that was, that was terrible. 
And he even suggested that I come upon his leadership team while challenging me for a couple of years that he was, gonna, he was challenging me to go to Bible college because he believed that God was calling me to vocational ministry full time. As a matter of fact, he had the Bible college picked out. He was going to drive himself. He was going to drive me down to Kentucky. Anybody from Kentucky here? Okay, yeah. Jane's best friend is from Kentucky. Okay, we got to make a connection. Everybody, right? Everybody knows somebody from Kentucky. But I'm not feeling Kentucky. (laughs) Nothing wrong with Kentucky. And so, you know, and the idea was, I was like, no way, that's not happening because I was not feeling that. I saw some of the things, I mean, if I was going to be really honest with you, I I'd witnessed his life and I'd been close enough to him to know that I did not want that kind of responsibility. I did not want to carry the burdens of people and all what they were going through on my shoulders. I didn't want it. I wanted ministry on my own terms. That was it for me. If I'm really honest, it took a while for me to figure it out, but I just wanted to do it on my own terms. I wanted to do what I really like to do. And you know what? Everybody else, you can handle the hard stuff. I'm just going to do the fun stuff. Well, in that run from this call that I and others were sensing in me, I took a little trip backwards for some months. And I began little by little to go back to some of the things I used to do before I became a follower of Christ. And some of you know my story, and that was me. I love to have a really good time. I started going back to the bar with a few of my buddies. And at first I would just have a Coke and maybe shoot some pool or whatever. You know, I was the guy that was hanging out with everybody that was partying, but I was the guy drinking the Coke. Wow, fun guy that is. But then once in a while I begin to have a beer. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. But then the next time I'd go, I'd have two beers. And then it was three beers. Then a shot. And the next thing you know, I'm on the dance floor. (laughs) And that's what it kind of does, what happens, right? I'm on the, and I'm not a very good dancer. And while I was doing that and definitely hiding it from others, I began to drop some of my responsibilities at the church, you see. Then I began to skip church. And then the next thing you know, I wasn't answering calls from anybody at the church. I remember my pastor would leave these messages and some of the Sunday school teachers, some of the women in our church, these heartfelt messages like, Jason, where have you been? We miss you. I'm like, I'm too far gone from this. The shame. I'm hiding it from everybody. But I couldn't shake him. I vividly remember four times in a period of about six months where God showed up in these certain spaces and used the most unlikely of people, unbelievers, to remind me of my call to go after God. And it began when I was at an old sports bar called Coscarelli's back home in Lansing. I was sitting down having a few drinks, and the next thing you know, a coach who I knew in the in the community recruited me to play at a local college, a small college there in the in the city, and who I'd shared my faith with when we were having that discussion, came and sat next to me to shoot the breeze. Hey Jay, what's up, man? How's it going? You still working out? 
Yeah, man, I'm still, I still play. I'm still getting shots up. I'm still working out. Hey, man, how's church going? Swat beads. If you want to know when I'm nervous or I'm like in an uncomfortable situation, the, the, I'm balding now, you can see it a lot easier. Sweat beads start. I'm like, uh, church is going okay, you know. We carried on for a little bit and I never remember when I left the table. I said, hey, Jay, keep up fighting the good fight. Yeah, I'm really putting up a good fight now. A few months later, I'm at Harper's Bar in East Lansing. These are real places in real time. As I'm walking to the bathroom with a beer, all of a sudden, out of nowhere to my right, I'll never forget, I can't remember her name actually, but a girl who I went to high school with, she just came up to me and stopped me and said, Hey, Jason, how have you been? Long time no see. I heard that you became a Christian and were going to church. What are you doing here? Buzzkill. Hypnotizes on, you know, big evil. Short time after that, I'm on the west side of Michigan, South Haven, Michigan. In there for the weekend playing in a basketball tournament. The fellas decide, you know what, we're going to go down to Captain Lou's downtown. We're going to have a few drinks. We're just going to hang out for a little bit. And the next thing you know, about an hour into this time, I am standing outside on the deck outside up against a pole all by myself. And this guy, who I have no idea who he is, just comes up and starts talking to me. Hey, how you doing, man? My name's so-and-so. Hey, how you doing? My name is Jason. Hey, you in here for the basketball tournament? Yeah, I'm just hanging out. We're playing some ball, hanging out with the guys. He said, man, you know what? I'm a Christian. And I have no idea what I'm doing here. I've been struggling for a bit, and I'm getting out of here, man. Boy, this is turning out to be fun. Now, you'd think I'd be catching on by now, right? But Lindsay can attest, not this knucklehead. It takes me a little while, you know. Well, a little while later, I found out that my old friend Chris, who I used to run around with and do some really bad stuff with, he was throwing a party with the old crew, and so... I roll up in my 96 S10. I still miss that truck. Yeah, the rims, tinted windows. I have 12s in the back, back behind the seat. Its thing is popping, man. This thing is the sweetest truck in Lansing. Well, at least I thought anyway, right? <laughs> Me and my couple of buddies, we decided to stop over. And so, yeah, I walked in the house, began to settle in. Music is going. I'm sitting at the table playing cards. There's a beer next to me and I'm smoking a cigarette. And I'm just carrying on like old times. And even then it just felt kind of weird. But the next thing you know, there's a loud crash and the sound of something that has broken apart. And so naturally everyone looks around to see what's happened. And the music got turned off and we realized that my buddy Chris had picked up a stool and he started throwing it up against his own kitchen cabinets, destroying his kitchen. And like a freeze frame, the music stopped. Everybody stopped to look what's going on. And just like the Red Sea parted, there's a lane. And I am the only one in his view. And he yelled out with a house full of people, Jason, what are you doing here? 
You gave up. You are the one who gave us hope. Talk about wanting to crawl under a table. God was using me to give people hope? Everybody in that room, if I look back on those faces right now, everybody in that room, during my four years of following Christ prior, I had sought to share the gospel with them. They knew I was a follower of Christ because Again, I had spent time with them and I'd shared with them, but they also knew that I was fleeing the presence of God, just like those pagan sailors calling out Jonah. My old buddy had more sense than I did. Let's just say the party broke up from there, right? Time to go. I couldn't shake him. And you can't shake him either. God says in Jeremiah chapter 23, can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth? David, who also knew what it was like to be on the run, said in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If you're in a place of running this morning, I just want to lovingly say to you, come on home. Stop running. Stop hiding. It's only going to make you weary. You're only going to get burned out and it's only going to get worse. God loves you too much to keep you in that mess. Hear your loving Father's voice speak to you this morning. Remember who you are and whose you are. And walk in that identity. And if you know of someone who's on the run, go get them. Don't you stand back if you know someone's on the run. You go get them. Graciously call them out if you got to. You've got to do it. It's for their good. It's the most loving thing that you can do, even if it feels uncomfortable or even if they may not like you for it. They're getting mad at you. Maybe you're not a follower of Christ this morning. I'm going to be straight up here with you. I'm going to plea with you. Maybe you're kicking the tires on this Christianity thing. Maybe you're giving a little bit of lip service. I don't know where you're at. I don't know who I'm talking to in this room. Trying to figure out, is this Christianity, is this really real to have a relationship with God? Is this really, is this real? You're not sure what you really believe, but you know that something is stirring in you. I want you to know that God is chasing you. Right now. Evidenced by you being in this room right now. Why in the world would you want to come and listen to this? You can't shake him. 
So Jonah got found out. And the next thing you know, he gets tossed out in verses 11 through 16. The sailors aren't quite sure what to do with Jonah, nor do they know how to appease this God who made the sea that they're sailing in. And so they ask him, what do we do? And he says, pick me up and throw me in, and this storm's going to calm down and everything's going to be okay. I'm the trouble here. He owns it. But it seems pretty noble, right? But I'm not so sure. My take is that Jonah could have just told the sailors to turn the ship around, that he himself was repenting and head back to land so that he could go fulfill his mission, which God had called him to. But God knew his heart, and the truth of the matter is that Jonah would have rather been in exile or he would have rather drowned than to participate in God's mission to rescue the Ninevites. To say that Jonah is a, in a bad place is an understatement. And this is just an outworking of questions you ask yourself when you're reading the text. Do you feel that way towards anybody? Maybe not to that extreme, right? Where you just, you know what, I'd rather just exile myself or drown rather than share the gospel with them. And it may not be heightened to that level, but... What about that arrogant coworker? Or that un that seemingly unforgivable family member? Those folks connected to that other political party. I'm so sick of that, by the way. Uh, you're not a Christian, you believe in that. Ugh, you're not a Christian. You, what is that? That is, where does that come from? Those people from that different country who have a different religion. Now, I think I'm good. I'm safe in my little comfort zone right here. I'm good right here with my folks, my people. I'm good right here, here. Well, I want you to know that if you get anything out of this story, get this, God is after those people too. He's after them. And you're in their sphere of influence. So they can know that he's after them. So we might as well get it together and get on mission because one thing is clear. Not only is Jonah unable to shake God, but neither are these pagan sailors. After Jonah told him to throw him in the water, nevertheless the men rode hard to try to get back to the land. Not because Jonah wanted to, but they wanted to. They were freaked out that they're going to perish too. Yet the storm even grew more fierce. And here's the principle to understand in this moment that you cannot work hard enough to save yourself. You'll only find yourself working against God. What rescue requires is a sacrifice. And so they call upon the name of the one Jonah had professed to spare them of blood guilt because they were only doing what his prophet told them to do. And they hurled them into the sea. And the storm was calmed. Which resulted even in more fear. Wow, that God really listens and he answers. The prophet's word came to pass, which 
which is really cool. If you look in Mark chapter 4, you're going to see kind of almost a parallel account of this when Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and a storm comes up and Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Jesus is connecting. He's connecting. The Bible's all going together here. Now, I'm not 100% for sure that these sailors became full worshipers of Yahweh. Maybe they believed for a short time or maybe they kept on. After all, they did offer sacrifices, made some vows. But one thing is for sure. They definitely had enough information about who he was and what he was in control of. He gave a witness And there are sailors as well in your sphere of influence who, is, who are watching you to see if God is, is at work in your life too. Trust me, they are paying attention. Even if they've never told you, they are paying attention to you. Jonah got found out, and so he got tossed out, but only to be bailed out, just as the Lord appointed the storm, just like he appointed the rebuke of the sailors, and just like the Lord appointed those people to talk to me when I was back gigging. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. God is running things. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights for some alone time Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here as we get ready to conclude, but I know there's a lot of questions of whether Jonah really got swallowed by a whale. There's questions of whether this is some literary device that just is describing a general rescue, such as Jonah got through overboard and then he latched onto a piece of floating debris and doggy paddled back to land. But I just want to mention a few things. First, I disagree with that. Whatever that means. I just want to say that from the beginning. (laughs) Second, do you know what the two Hebrew words are for great fish? A great fish. Jesus considered this to be historically true and referred to it as a symbol which pointed forward to his resurrection back in Matthew chapter 12. Some of the religious leaders are having a conversation with him. And they want to know, and they're trying to figure out, is he the Messiah? And they want him to do some more miracles. But he's just like, you know what? A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so also will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the earth. And lastly, yes, I get it, to be Swallowed by a whale is extraordinary. But if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, then you know that your God is in an extraordinary business. As we close, it's vital for us as we continue on in this story to recognize and to know that we have missed it if we just keep this as a Sunday school story that we teach to our children about God's ability 
for a man to be swallowed by a whale. Yes, that's definitely a part of it. But it's about what it points forward to. It's about what it accomplishes, and it's the gospel. You see, Jonah is a type of Christ who takes on the guilt of the circumstances and becomes the object of God's wrath. By allowing himself to be thrown into the sea. And it's only then that the sea ceases its rage. And then the sailors are rescued. That's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The gospel is all over the place when you read your Bible. You can't shake Jesus. Dear church friends and family, don't lose sight that God is on mission to save not only the unlovely, but the unwanted, the unworthy, the unbelieving, and the unobeying. Here he has set his heart to show compassion to the great city of Nineveh as he always does through the recipient of someone who's received that same compassion. We have been blessed to be a blessing. What a privilege that God has called us together in this room, in this great city, to be a part of his indomitable mission to share the good news with all those people. All over the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And Father, I think what I'm struck by again is that you meet us wherever we're at. You have an instance, you have a story, you have a theme which always connects to where we're at. Or maybe it's someone that we have to minister to. Father, thank you for your word, that you love us so much that you speak pointedly to us because you want us to have all what we have in Christ, to experience all what we've been given in Christ, not only in this life, but forever in the life to come. So, Father, I ask, O oh Lord, that we would exult in your compassion, which you've offered us and which we received in Jesus. And for anybody here in this room that's running from you, would you remind them again this morning that they can't shake you? Would you work in their hearts in such a way where they just say, I surrender? And so, Father, we commit your word to you. Your word is alive and it's active. And I'm trusting it's doing its work now. We bless you, Father. We give you praise for your work in Christ's name.